0: Hey, all the children in the house, it's time for Children's Church. This is your favorite time in the service. Come on up. All right. All right. Mr. Samuel, uh, you got a number nine shirt on and you're the last one up. Number nine should be the first one up, the fastest. Uh, All right. Okay, hey, how about this? Let me give you a blessing, all right? Y'all ready for the blessing? You remember that part? All right, look at me, look at me. Ready? Here we go. Here comes the blessing. It's coming at you. Ready? Are you ready for it? Are you digging for some gold there, Giovanni? Any gold in the flower jar? Okay. Here we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and give you peace and give you grace. And give you mercy forever. Amen. All right. See you guys later after the service. Parents, please pick up your kids right across the hallway in the parlor, uh, right across just outside the sanctuary here in that large room. All right. Now, let me pray with us one more time that God might fill us with His Spirit not only to preach the word, but to receive it in the way that he intended us to receive it and to grow by it, the milk and meat of the word. Father, thank you for preserving your word for us so that we might have life abundant and life eternal. Thank you for this incredible guide to daily living that empowers us to become more like Jesus Christ. And I pray now that as we look into your word and study it, it might take root and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the greatest lessons that I've learned in the 20 years of ministry that it has taught, it has taught me was, is that leadership is overrated. But followership is a thing. Leadership is overrated, but followership is a thing. Now, I've read my share of leadership books, and I've been to my share of leadership conferences, and I've been helped tremendously by both leadership books and leadership conferences. Now, despite the many leadership books I've read and conferences I've attended, I still believe that I have much room to grow and to learn to be a better leader. But this series is not so much about me and my leadership, it's more about you and your followership. Today I'm going to start a new series of messages titled Followership. If you Google the word leadership, you get about 2,160,000,000 results for you to check out on leadership. Do you know what that number is for followership? About 1 million with an M versus 2.9 billion. It's 1,090,000 as of yesterday afternoon on followership. Now, if my math is right, that means that there are over 2,000 times as many books, articles, conferences and mentions about leadership than they are about followership. The disparity between those two numbers might also lead one to believe that leadership is 2,000 times more important than followership. The great leadership guru and former pastor Dr. John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership. But I think that John Maxwell is only half right. Good men like John Maxwell have made millions of dollars writing leadership books and doing leadership conferences convincing millions of people that everything rises and falls on leadership. But I think he's only half right. Is there any wonder why so many people are disgruntled with their leaders? You see, if anything goes wrong in any organization, it must be the leader's fault, right? If you ever wonder why there's so much cynicism and revolt against those in authority, I want to suggest that we take a look at this unbalanced view of leadership. That's why I've titled this new series, Leadership is Overrated, but followership is really a thing. If John Maxwell would have said, everything rises and falls on leadership and followership, then I would say... Amen. And Since the Bible is our final authority on every subject on which it speaks, let's see what God's word says about leadership and followership. But first, let's define these terms. Leadership is the act of leading a group of people or an organization. Followership is the act of someone in a subordinate role. is a specific set of skills that complement leadership. It is the capacity or the willingness to follow a leader. Now, according to Wikipedia, followership is an emerging area within the leadership field that helps explain outcomes. And followers play important individual, relational, and collective roles in any organization. Any organizational failures and successes. Followers play an important role in any organization's successes and failures. Now, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. The first Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Matthew 4. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ will be very familiar to those of us who have been Christians for some time. But I want us to try to listen as if you are hearing these words for the first time. I want us to try to rediscover the call to followership. It is as essential to our Christian faith as it is to the church membership. Matthew chapter 4 Beginning in verse 18, Jesus says, or the scripture says, Matthew's writing, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and what? Followed him. Jesus had just come up from the Jordan River, where he was baptized by the man we call John the Baptist. The scripture says that he decided to move into Capernaum, a fishing village on the northwest coast of Lake Galilee. I've been there twice. And Lord willing, we're going again next March. These are places that you can actually see. They're places, real-life places in history, and you can visit them today. The scripture says that he decided to move into Capernaum, a small fishing village, and there he began his preaching and teaching ministry. Now, as Jesus was walking along the lake shore, it should not surprise us that he met fishermen. They were young Jewish men and their fathers with their fishing boats and fishing nets. They were commercial fishermen, they were not just fishing for pleasure. They weren't sports fishermen. That was what they did for a living. And Jesus suddenly walks up to them and calls out to Simon Peter and his brother, Hey, brothers, come follow me. Now, did you notice what Jesus did not say? He didn't say, Hey, brothers, come and lead with me. He didn't say... Come and join my leadership academy and I will make you an MBA graduate. That's not what he said. And yet remarkably, the Bible says, at once they left their nets and followed him. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. How many of you would do that for Jesus? If Jesus showed up at your job... And called you out by name. Hey, hey, Rick. Rick, where are you? Come follow me. Hey, hey, no, sir. Yeah, yeah, you with the dreads. Put down your tools and come and follow me. If Jesus called you out at your job to leave it behind and to follow him, would you do it? Some say yes. Don't say that too quickly. Now, to be fair, you have to understand the cultural background of this text. In ancient Israel, and still to this day in certain Orthodox Jewish congregations, the rabbis who were the spiritual leaders of the day were one of the most revered and respected men in the community. They were revered and respected because of their godly life, their wisdom and knowledge of Jewish history, Jewish traditions, Jewish laws, and of course, the Hebrew Bible. And these rabbis had schools where they taught young men who would also become rabbis in due time. You know, the thing that about these rabbinic schools were that you could not apply not like colleges and universities today, where if you want to go to the school, you apply. You fill out the application, you take the initiative, you go on a visit, orientation and all that. There was no application process to get into the rabbinic schools in Jesus' day, and the same is true today. You had to be invited in by the rabbi himself. And it was a great honor to be chosen by the rabbi. It was huge the rabbi didn't notice you and see some potential religious future in you, you would not be invited to join his school. To be invited into any rabbi's school was such a great honor that almost nobody turned down that prestigious invitation. That would be like, unsolicited to you, by you, you get a letter in the mail from Princeton, Harvard, University of Chicago, Northwestern, that says, you have a full scholarship, we want you to come for your undergraduate, bachelor's, your master's, and your PhD. It's all paid for. You just show up on campus and give us the next 10 years of your life. So to say no to a rabbi's invitation would be tantamount to saying no to any University that wants to give you a full ride and you're of college age and you want to better your life and you know that In order to get ahead in this world in this country at this time a college education is a must for you And you say no, thank you So apparently Jesus was already recognized by these brothers as a rabbi And they immediately snapped up the opportunity to follow him into his rabbinic school Now, interestingly, Jesus had a school without walls. In verse 21 and 22, even James and John had the same immediate response to Jesus' invitation. And they were literally in the boat with their father, Zebedee. And the Bible says that they left their boat, and what else? And their father left daddy running the business by himself. After he done raised these kids, paid for, you know, fed these kids, housed these kids, and trained them up in the business, Jesus is just going to come along and snatch away the best, most faithful workers in the family business? Oh, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. Incredible. In Matthew chapter 8, we have an account of two other men who offer themselves to be disciples of Jesus. Very interesting, different dynamic here. Matthew chapter 8, let's look at that account. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 19. Matthew chapter 8, beginning verse 19. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, or Rabbi, I will follow you wherever you go. How about that, like some of you just said? To the question, would you, if Jesus came to your job and called you out by name and said, "Come, follow me," would you go? Some of you said, a couple of you were bold enough to say yes. That's good. I mean, I'm, I, I love your heart, but watch what happens to these guys. Jesus replied, "Foxes have no holes; have holes, and birds have the air of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has what? No place to lay his head." Foxes have their holes, their dens. Birds have their nests. But this guy, this rabbi, I don't even have a building which is a school building for you. My school is in the open air. And my house is in the open air. And my toilet and bathroom, that's, it's out here. Scratching his head now. Now we hear crickets. It's crickets chirping now. Another disciple said to him, but Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. How about that for an answer? That's cold right there, isn't it? That's just cold. Some of you didn't know that Jesus was cold like that, did you? He thought Jesus was warm and fuzzy, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That's the song we learned in Sunday school. Jesus was tough. He was radically tough when he spoke to his disciples and said, come follow me. It was no joke. So imagine if Jesus came to Uptown. And, and you heard he was here doing all kinds of amazing miracles. You showed up to see them for yourselves and to hear his inspirational and profound messages, you're blown away. And so you say to yourself, I'm going to introduce myself to this dude and I'm going to join his team because I'm sure that he could use a guy like me on his team. So after your introduction, you offer your services and he looks at you and says, so you want to join my team, huh? (laughs) You want to join my team? Great. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, While I'm in Uptown this month, I'm going to be staying in Tent City under Lakeshore Drive. Next month, I'll be ministering downtown. And you're thinking, oh, that's great. Uh, So where are we going to be staying down there? At the Four Seasons? The Marriott? Trump Tower? No, uh, we're going to be under Lower Wacker Drive downtown. Then in November, I'm going to be on the west side in Garfield Park. And we're going to eat whatever we can catch in the lagoon there in Garfield Park. And we're going to sleep in the tents under the stars in Garfield Park and listen to the gunshots all night. And then in December, right around Christmas time, we're going to be on the south side in Inglewood. Inglewood? South side. How many of you are going to follow Jesus then? Suddenly Jesus looks up and you are nowhere to be found. Somehow you've lost your enthusiasm to join Jesus' exciting, miracle-working, evangelistic team. It must have been something he said that turned you off or maybe offended you. Well, Matthew said that the other, another dude, he gave it a try. He, too, wanted to follow Jesus, but he had conditions. You know, Jesus, my dad's real sick. The doctor's given him eight months to live, and since I'm the firstborn son, I have the power of attorney and the responsibility to arrange for his funeral to care for him until he dies. But I promise I'll come follow hard after you then. To which Jesus said sharply, Why not let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead? That's what he's saying. When he says, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus switches up on them and uses spiritual metaphors, spiritual language to say, let the spiritually dead, those who are outside the kingdom, take care of burying the physical dead because they don't have better things to do. They're not focused on eternally... Internal principles and eternal goals and eternal perspectives. So let the dead bury the dead. How many of you would be offended if Jesus responded to you that way? About your mother and your father? How many of you would write the check to, to uh, help fund his, his campaign? His evangelist ca- campaign in your city after a response like that? How many of you would show up at his prayer meeting on Wednesday night after he looks at you and says, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. And your father has terminal cancer. And you want to hang out with him and make sure he dies in peace and take care of him and bury him, put him in the ground, and then come follow What is wrong with that? Matthew shared these this scene in chapter 8 to contrast the scene in chapter 4. Now, let's take a notice of the differences. In chapter 4, Jesus is the one who initiates the invitation for the two pairs of brothers to follow him, and the Bible says immediately and without reservation, they left everything to follow Jesus in a totally committed relationship without reservations. In chapter 8, these two wannabe disciples initiate the offer themselves to follow Jesus, but they can't handle the commitment. They like the praise and worship miracle show, but they're really not into the sacrificial daily living and giving of their time, talent, and treasure. They want to follow Jesus on their own terms, not his. Now think about yourself your own Christian life. Which of the two sets of followers are you most like? Matthew 4 followers or Matthew 8 followers? You be the judge. See, you really can't answer that question, though, until you understand what it means to follow Jesus today. we got to figure out, what does it mean to follow Jesus in 2018? Because We're not living in first-century Galilee, Jerusalem, Israel. See, on the one hand, Jesus is no longer physically here, so we can't literally walk in his footsteps. But on the other hand, he has left behind his word, his example, his spirit, his church for us to follow. So to follow Christ today, first of all, means that we seek to obey his commands. We seek to obey his teachings, his examples that are all found in the Bible. But, of course, you can't obey what you don't know. And that is why you and I must read the Bible and pray every single day. You see, the Bible is like a mirror of the soul. How many of you seldom, if ever, leave your home without looking first in the mirror? Checking yourself out, right? Right? See, see, the purpose of the mirror is to give you an accurate reflection of yourself so you can make the necessary adjustments to yourself before you go public in the morning, right? Amen. Now, some of you here today forgot to look in the mirror before you left home. And I can tell you, from here, my vantage point is clear. I can see every single one of you, and I can tell you that some of you did not check the mirror this morning, before you left the house. Now turn to your neighbor and see if you can spot him. <laughs> now if you spot one, if you spot one, be be gracious. Be gracious. Just lean over gently and whisper, let me help you fix your collar. You got a booger on your nose, hanging from your nose. Let me help you. See, the word of God is the perfect reflection of Christ and so every day when we stand before it we can see what we are supposed to be like before we go public and if we take a look in the word before we leave the house we can make adjustments so we don't embarrass ourselves our Christ and our church and oh by the way the adjustments we make are there's another name for those it's called confession and repentance. We talked about that last week in our final message on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The adjustments we make daily after looking into God's word and realizing that our, our, our life, our soul, our attitude, our mind does not line up with what we see in God's perfect word. We make adjustments. We confess our sins and, and we repent of our sins before we move forward and leave the house for the day. And oh, by the way, the adjustments we make are also for those who live inside our homes. It means that we need to look at our spouses and sometimes confess and repent. We have to look at our children and sometimes confess and repent. We have to look at our parents and sometimes confess and repent. We have to look at our siblings and sometimes confess and repent. Because if the gospel doesn't work at home, it ain't going to work at work. And it ain't going to work at church. You're not fooling nobody. You can dress up and look good on the outside, but if that gospel is not transforming your inside, you might as well be running around naked. Because like my brother David Onuha likes to say, God sees beyond our faces. He sees beyond our nice clothing and jewelry. He sees us for who we really are. I know the Lord Jesus also left his Holy Spirit to dwell inside us, to lead us, to prompt us, to strengthen us, to walk in the truth daily. And then we have each other in the church. The church is not just an authorized institution of Christ, but an anointed organism, the body of Christ. That's who we are. And Christ has anointed and appointed leaders in his church. Now, if there are leaders in the church, that means by definition there must be followers. And both leaders and followers in the church are all ultimately followers of who? Jesus Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say to the church in Corinth, Follow me as I follow Christ. No Christian church member is ever called to follow a church leader who is not following Christ. That's the only time you should rebel against your church leadership. Is if you can point to a passage or a principle in scripture that says you're wrong, and here's what the Bible says about this. And you do that privately. That's how followers are to follow and even admonish their leaders when necessary. A good follower is one who can read and understand the Bible for themselves so that they can discern truth from lies, right from wrong, and they will not fall into the trap of blindly following unethical or ungodly leaders. In other words, how many of you remember the name David Koresh? Crazy cult leader in Texas, Waco, right? And then before him, there was that other guy in, that in Central America who caused people to drink poison, and right? Jimmy Jones. Crazy. How is it that these people could have followed these leaders into an inferno death or into drinking poison and dying? Because they were not reading the Bible. They were blindly following a man that was misguided. Men who were misguided. Men who were not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not the kind of followership that we're talking about. And that's not the kind of followership that Jesus is talking about either. Everything Jesus did and said could be backed up by the Bible that the people had to read at that time, which was the Old Testament. Now we've got both Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that's another reason why you need to be reading your Bible every day. And you need to learn how to study your Bible. Because I'm a human being and I can make mistakes. Or I can intentionally and unethically lead you down some path of destruction. So we're not talking about that kind of blind followership that does not question authority. We're talking about a followership that is under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, guided by the Word of God. Look at Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 9. You'll see an example of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and did what? Followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, interestingly, Jesus already told us in the other passage in Matthew that he didn't have a den a hole in the ground he didn't have a nest in the air. he had nothing so you ask why is jesus always over other people's house eating he didn't have his own house <laughs> right incredible and neither did his, and his disciples left their houses to follow this nomadic preacher teacher miracle worker who didn't have squat incredible When the Pharisees saw this, that is, Jesus at Matthew's house with the other tax collectors and other sinners eating, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? (laughs) On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, dum-dum, but the sick. A few weeks ago, Pastor Demos from New York spoke about Zacchaeus, the other tax collector, the short guy who climbed up in the tree in order to see Jesus as he was passing by. You remember that? But Jesus didn't just pass by Zacchaeus. He, he stopped. He looked up in the tree, and he called Zacchaeus to come down. And then he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. How you like that? Listen, if you hang with Jesus, you're going to eat good. On somebody else's dime. So Jesus is in Matthew's house having dinner with other tax collectors and sinners. Now here we see Jesus once again hanging out with the hated tax collectors and sinners in first-century Israel. Now the tax collector here is named Matthew. And he's most probably the one writing this very gospel account of Jesus' life. And notice the text says that many other tax collectors and sinners were gathered in Matthew's house for dinner. Most likely, Zacchaeus was one of the other unnamed tax collectors gathered there too. But what was so scandalous about Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners? Tell me that. And why did the tax collectors and sinners hang out with each other anyway? Hang in there with me. We're going to answer those two questions. So Jesus was considered a holy man, a miracle worker, and a Bible teacher. And in the minds of first century Jewish people, especially the religious ones like the Pharisees mentioned in verse 11, such holy men ought not hang out with unholy men. To them, that was scandalous. Now, this was not a teaching found in the Holy Scriptures, but it was a teaching of their man-made religious rules. And that is why these misguided religious leaders known as the Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples why he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And oh, by the way, The tax collectors and sinners hung out with each other because they were social rejects of their day. They were not welcomed in the places of Jewish worship such as the synagogues and the temple. And so they created their own communities of acceptance. I had a man years ago who attended our church here faithfully. He was not a believer, but he was a seeker. He eventually left. But he told me one time, we were out playing golf, and he said, you know, I wish the church was more like my local bar here in Uptown where I go. (laughs) I said, tell me more about that. Why do you say that? He said, you know, when I get off of work, I go to the bar, and they welcome me, and I get to sit wherever I want to sit. See, that's open. And um, bartender comes up, and he knows my name. He greets me. He serves me the drink that I want. And we sit, and I can tell him all my problems of the day, and he listens. And he serves me up another drink. And we sat and we can sit for two, three hours. And I feel so comfortable just pouring out my heart to my bartender, my local bartender. And then I walk home. He said, I wonder if the church would have more people, if folks would be willing to sit and listen to people's problems and just listen. It's an indictment on the church. So people who are non-believers who don't feel welcome in our midst, they create their own places of community where they feel welcome. The question for you and I are, what are we doing to make UBC more welcomed? Whether it's to the rich who will be moving in here once this building is done, or it's to the poor, the folks sitting on the street on, the, on our steps smoking weed and, having sex at night, leaving condoms and feces and all kinds of stuff on Sunday morning. On, on, on every, every day of the week, actually, when our building guy comes to the church, he has to hose down and clean up and pick up all that stuff after the party that happened on our church steps the night before. Some of you never see that because you don't get here at 6 o'clock when Mose gets here to clean up the mess of the party outside the church steps. How do we help those folks feel welcomed in here so that they don't have to be having sex on our church steps and drinking and carrying on and selling weed and dope and cigarettes on our church steps all hours of the night. How do we help them find Jesus so they don't have to keep doing that mess and living that life? Is that really life? They followed Jesus. These disciples followed their fearless leader into places they would have never gone without him and they followed Jesus into relationships that they would have never entered into without him unless of course like they were like Matthew and Zacchaeus who were saved out of those sinful places and relationships and then turned around and went back there to save their former friends or maybe they're still their friends who are whose eyes had not yet been opened did you notice Jesus response to the question of the Pharisees Jesus says, don't you realize it's not the healthy people who need doctors, the sick ones do. Jesus was referring to the spiritual sickness of the sinful soul. Now, of course, the Pharisees were just as sick as everyone else. And maybe even more so because they couldn't see their own terminal sickness of sin. They were too busy judging everybody else's sin and they couldn't see their own filthy hearts. And so most of them remained unchanged, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They died self-righteous and unrepentant and ended up in in a Christless eternity. Warning, do not be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't come to church and sit in judgment of the pastor's message and the music or the ministries without letting the message and music and the ministries challenge and change your own life first. Instead, be a true follower of Jesus. The true follower of Jesus is a humble learner. That's what the word disciple means, by the way. They ask honest questions, not to play gotcha games, but to know the mind of Christ and to seek to be more like him. The true follower of Jesus doesn't go to church to sit in judgment of others, but to serve others. To follow the biblical vision and mission of the church and to help fulfill it. In verse 13 of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus tells his church, what his mission is, and those, are, those who are his true followers are called to fulfill it. Did you see what he says? But go, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. The truth is, everybody is a sinner but there are those who are so self-righteous they don't even see their own sin because they're too busy judging everybody else's. The Bible says there's no one righteous. No, not even one. And Jesus knew that. And so whether we are rich or poor, educated, uneducated, red, red, yellow, black, or white, we all are in need of Christ's forgiveness. But most people are so self-righteous. Most people even though they don't realize it, they're more like the Pharisees. They sit in judgment of others and they can't even see their own sin. And so we, we his followers are called together to be sent out into the world, our schools, our offices, our factories, our neighborhoods, to share the glorious riches of Christ Jesus so that people will see Just how morally and spiritually bankrupt they are without him. And so if you want to be a member of of this church, here's what we ask you to do. If you want to be a true follower in this church, we ask you to get behind these four pillars. Prayer, worship, discipleship, mission. If you're already a member of this church, ask yourself this question. Do you pray in your prayer closet? How regularly? Do you come to our public weekly worship or prayer meeting? How often? If you're not doing that, you're not a good, true follower of Jesus in this local church. Because we've decided that these are the four pillars of our strength of our church and the growth of our church. If you're not here regularly in worship on a Sunday morning and helping to participate in some way in worship, you're not a true follower of Jesus in this church. If you're not making disciples, helping somebody else grow in their faith, and you're not being discipled yourself, you're not a true follower of Jesus in this church. And if you're not on mission, sharing the gospel with other people, if you're not praying for missions and missionaries, if you're not going on mission trips, whether it's here in this uptown or around the world seeking to spread the news of Jesus Christ, you are not a true follower of Jesus in this church. See, we need to stop playing games and calling ourselves, I'm a church member, this is, I love my church, this is UBC, I, I love this church, I love how many people gather here from all over the world, this is great and this wonderful. But if you're not following the vision and the mission here, you are not a true follower of Jesus in this church. And so I'm going to invite you to do one of two things. You can say, I want to be a true follower, or you can be invited to find another church where you can fit in. Where you can really go and and mesh with the vision and and the mission and fit in and go hard after Jesus in that church. But what we don't need is people who say they're followers of Jesus, and they associate themselves here, but they're not willing to get engaged and involved in the vision and the mission. Because Jesus said, if you're going to be involved with me and part of my vision and mission, there's a commitment, there's a cost. It's going to cost you something. No more sitting in the pews saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a member of Uptown Baptist Church, and you're not lining up and following. Go f- somewhere else where you can really follow hard and be content and be happy. Otherwise, you're dead weight in this ship. Now, some of you are offended because I just said that. I didn't say it to offend you. I said it to wake you up to the truth of what Jesus means when he said, come and follow me. I'm trying to contextualize these messages from 2,000 years ago to what it means to follow Jesus in 2018. I'm not trying to drive people out the door. I'm just trying to help you realize that's what it means to follow Jesus. And I don't want you to be a hypocrite. I don't want you to be a hypocrite. Why live life as a hypocrite, saying you're one thing and you're not? Be who you are. That's why God gave me the vision to lead this church to be a real church of the real God to the real world. Because guess what? My friend, who's no longer here, as we played on the golf course, his bartender, he sees more church Fellowship in the bartender and then the bar scene than in the church. So I think most of us know our calling. The only question is, are we answering the call? Are we willing to deny ourselves to follow Jesus? May God help us to rediscover the call to followership. The call to followership. Let's stand as we worship the Lord. I'm going to ask Philip to play a song for us and to sing this song of commitment. And if you're done playing games and you want to truly follow Jesus hard right here at UBC, as Philip plays and sings this song, the altar is open. And this could be a day, a turning point in your life where you say, I'm done playing games. I really want to be a true follower. I want to commit to something. I'm not just committing to this Jesus somewhere back there, but I'm committing myself also to his church. I'm going to follow